Thank you for choosing the Abide College Ministry Podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message inspires and challenges you. Now here's a message from one of our leaders, Hunter Story. Amen. You can have a seat. How's everybody doing tonight? We can leave the, we can leave the lights like this if it's okay. I just want to, I'm not going to be too long. Um, at least I, tell, I say that sometimes and people say I go a lot longer when I say that. I don't want to be too long tonight. I just want to share a story with you guys that for some reason has been impressed upon my heart um, over the last couple of days. And you know, there's this, there's this phrase, we don't want to enter a series tonight, but we want to come around this idea of real talk. And this idea of real talk is that there's some conversations sometimes that are really hard to have, but that sometimes we just need to have. And real talk is all about this idea that sometimes, you know, the Christian faith isn't all about these easy conversations where, where we're led into prosperity, but sometimes it's about difficult conversations where we realize we have to go through certain things before we reach the prosperity that God has promised us. And a lot of times we throw around this word in Christian faith, and, and even if you haven't been a part of a, a church or a Christian faith a while, or maybe you've walked in with a lot of, if you've walked in with a lot of doubts tonight, I hope you're encouraged by the songs of others that God is real and he's alive and he's active. And so I really hope you're encouraged by that tonight. But also, if you are unfamiliar with Christian faith, you've probably heard this word before, and it's this word revival. And so for some of you, maybe what revival means or what you know about revival is it was like this, the most boring week of your life when your parents drug you to church because you had to go to your church's revival, and it would be like five nights of worship where you'd have guest speakers um, and a guest worship band, and you just remember it was awful because it was the same message that you had heard your whole entire life, and people from other churches were there, people from your church were there, people made these crazy decisions, but then I guess because it was so good, you had to do it again six months later, you know, so that's basically what some of us know about revival, but there's this phrase revival, and, and the reality is, guys, is this, and um, I know this to be true because I've been a part of it and I've seen it, is that there have been people that are in this room right now that have been passionately praying that revival would take place on our campuses and in our communities. And that's, a, and that's the truth. And, and a lot of times I think we would say as, as the American church or just as a church around the world that we're praying for revival. We're asking for God to move in an incredible way. And we're, we're wanting to see God do something awesome. We're wanting to see him do a new thing. We just sang a song called Do It Again that's all about how God has been faithful and we believe he's going to do it again. I think a lot of times we pray for that. And then what we find over and over and over again is that we get stuck in these situations and we get stuck in these circumstances and we look at the world around us and say there's no way we could enter revival. We all know what happened in, in Texas last week, and I, or a lot, hopefully we know. If, if you don't know, um, I'll let you check, check the news out. But who would, ever th- who would ever think we'd live in a day where there'd be this hesitation to go to church because of safety? Who would, who would ever think we would live in such a time as that? But you can just look at the world around us, and you can see that the hate that's going on in the world. You can see the immorality that takes place um, all around the world, and you can see that sometimes immorality that takes place right in our backyard, sometimes even in our homes, and we can say we're praying for revival, but it just doesn't make sense when there's so much sin that's still around us. And then I'm encouraged by this story. It's found in 2 Chronicles 34. If you want to turn there, um, I, I encourage you to. If not, I just want to read this story uh, to you and Basically, the way, it, this, it, the way it's a lot of history, it seems like it's just going to be a story, but there's some key things that we can learn about God, I think, in Second Chronicles 34, and it's about this king named Josiah. Now, a couple of things about Josiah is he had a father and a grandfather who were very sinful. And so what his grandfather especially would do, his grandfather's name was Manasseh, he was, one, he was known as one of the most wicked kings in the entire kingdom of Judah. 
He's one of the most wicked kings in the entire uh, kingdom of Judah, and, and he was doing all these immoral things, but the thing was is he did them in the name of religion because apparently this kingdom, like, they were God's people. You know, like, they, they, were, they had the Lord's favor, and so they would do all these things in the name of religion, and the fact the whole time what they were doing was practicing idolatry. They were worshiping other idols. They were worshiping other gods. In fact, one of the most prominent sins in, during Manasseh's reign, this is Josiah's grandfather again, was that he would allow uh, I, um, the practice of worshiping idols in the temples. And so that's a, huge market. that's a huge mark for someone who's looking for God's favor. And then his son, he only reigned for two years, and he was doing the exact same thing. And so you look at this culture. They're supposed to be God's people. They're supposed to be, have the favor of God on them. And what's happening is that they're living in sin. These people are being led in sin. These people are committing sin. They're committing idolatry. And then enter Josiah. And this is what it says. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight. God, okay, so, so check out what's happening here. There's, an eight year, there's a, a wicked king, a wicked king, and then an eight-year-old. So for this kingdom, it looks like everything's like, it's, it's done, like it's over. Like there's no hope for this kingdom because they had a wicked king, another wicked king, and then they're being led by an eight-year-old boy. He's an unlikely candidate for revival. And I think the reality is that some of us, we look at our circumstances, and then we look at our life, and we say, I'm an unlikely candidate for revival. That there's no way God could use me in my circumstance and my situation to bring revival because the reality is Josiah had everything against him. He was eight, year old, eight years old, and he came from a terrible family line. Really, this nation appeared to be, appeared to be hopeless. This kingdom looked, looked like all was lost. And then this is what it says. Enter Josiah, the unlikely candidate. It says, when he was eight years old, he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's what it says about him. That he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. If you, if you want to skip down, it says in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So it skips it. It doesn't go to his real father. He talks about his father, David. This is going to be some historical stuff. It might be boring, but it's really important. So track with me for just a second. What's happening, the reason he refers to him as David is because this is the line of David. This is King David that we read about, or that we know wrote the Psalms. We read about him um, in First and Second Samuel. And what's, ha- what's happening is David is actually the line that will introduce to us Jesus. And so this is, and this is the line of the kingdom um, of Judah. And then we get to this point where after David, there's all of these bad kings. There's bad king after bad king, generation after generation. And then enter Josiah, and it says that he did what was right in the, in the eyes of the Lord, and he followed in the ways of his father David. And it says in his eighth year, while he was still young, so he's a teenager at this point, he began to seek the God of his father David. What did Josiah do right from the very beginning? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he sought after God. And if we want to be agents of revival and tools for revival, I just want to encourage you around this simple idea that it matters what you do, and it matters how you live. That your actions are important, because here's what's going to happen, is culture is going to start to tell you that your sin doesn't really matter. And the reality is this sin has got, is what got this, these, this kingdom in the situation it was in. This kingdom was folding. In fact, they were right on the brink of, of judgment from God. And it's coming a couple chapters later, and we'll, we'll talk about that maybe in just a little bit. But for, for Josiah's grandfather, he was so sinful, and then he came to this point where he repented. And so, oh, that's great. But here's the thing, is while he repented, and while he was restored, and while he was blessed for that, the nation couldn't recover from the sins that they had already committed. Here's the truth, guys. As, as, as we're looking towards revival, is that your sin 
has consequences. And while they can be forgiven, we still have to experience those consequences. While we're on earth, at least. And so here's the truth that I want us to, to, to get behind is that, that when the world's going to tell you that your sin doesn't really matter as much, that your decisions don't really matter as much, that your actions and your heart and your character and your integrity don't matter as much, the reality is, is they have a huge effect on other people. That your sin doesn't just affect you, but it affects every person in this room. But I think what we do is we have this mentality to think, well, your sin's over here and your sin caused that, so you're the reason for this downfall without admitting that we're all the problem. Every single one of us are a part of this sin problem because we all make mistakes. We all fall short of the glory of God. And, and the, the, it wasn't just Man, Manasseh, the king, who got this kingdom in the situation it was in. It was the sins of the whole people. And even after he repented as their king, as their leader, it wasn't enough. And while the repentance was a great move on him, and he was blessed and he was honored for that, and it mentions that at the end of uh, chapter 33, it wasn't enough to reverse the consequences of sin. Sin costs everyone, not just you. And as we're praying for a revival, what we're praying is that God would do a new thing, that he would remove sin. But as our sin affects everyone, and I just want to get into the life of, of Josiah. And so we'll, we'll just read this chapter in 34. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to mention um, parts of it. What, what he goes to do, I, I won't read all this to you like I said, but what he starts to do is Josiah, he just starts to do things. Because here's the thing about revival. Revival takes action. If you want to see revival happen on your campus or in your city or in your community, just start doing something. And so he starts doing all these things because what Josiah realizes is that just because his ancestors made mistakes didn't mean he had, he, he had to make mistakes. He could actually do things the right way. Here's the beautiful thing about the story of God. Just remember, Josiah came from a terrible family line. But here's the beautiful thing about the story of God is it's all about second chances. The story of God is all about second chances. Second chances are at the heart of God's character and foundational to God's glory. God's glory is ushered in on second chance opportunities. God's glory is brought to us through second chance opportunities. Revival happens through second chance opportunities. And so as you look at the culture around you, and as you look at the situations around you, you know that, that God always gives opportunities for second chances. Always. In fact, I hear people talk about the Old Testament all the time, and what they say is, I just don't understand how a God who's so loving could, be so, could have so much wrath. And I just want to say, have you seen how many times he's relented? I think the biggest theme in the story of the Old Testament is how many times God says he's going to do something, and then he relents in his love for his people. And so when we see this story, we see that God is, is offering a second chance, and Josiah takes advantage of that second chance, and he starts to do things. He starts to rebuild the temple. That might seem like it's, it's not an important factor. It's really important because the temple of God represented the, the greatest thing to them because it represented the very presence of God. So when he starts to rebuild the temple, all of his efforts are moved to experiencing God that he knew his kingdom had to experience the presence and the power of God. And so he starts to rebuild the temple and reconstruct the temple. And he starts putting people to work. He puts these leaders to work. These, he starts getting people mobilized so that they can pay for things and start building things. And he gets the temple. Um, uh, he's trying to re reconstruct the temple during this time. And as, he, as they're doing that, they find something. They find something in the temple. It says, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken, they found the book of, of the law of the Lord. And this is, what, this is what it says happens. It says, Josiah takes the book of the law, which we always talk about the law as like bad thing. Like we talk about the law negatively because it's like all those instructions that God gives us to follow. The law is a great thing because what the law does is it, it is your instruction. It is, our, it is people's instruction to how they can experience prosperity. So the law is not a bad thing. The thing is we're not bound to the law. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But for the book of the law, it says that Josiah opened it. And he starts to read it, 
And it says that he literally tears his robes after reading it. That seems really weird, right? Like, why would he do that? Like, why was he going to read this and start taking his clothes off? Like, that's kind of weird, Josiah. This is what's going on. In his conviction, Josiah starts weeping because he sees the law and he's reminded of the sins of his people. And when he's reminded of the sins of his people, he can't help but cry. And if we're going to be tools and agents of revival, conviction has to start taking place in our heart. And I wish for myself and for my life that I would get to a point to where I literally weep over the words of God. That when I get in my quiet places with God and I open up this book, that I would be weeping because of my love for God and his love for me, that he would love me so much that he would write a book that I could read to express his love and grace and mercy in my life. And I hope that when I read this and when I see that I've, that I've sinned and I see that I missed some art, I hope that I weep in my sin because I'm so convicted by, by what God has called me to and how I've missed some art. And he is so trustworthy and he's so good that I want to follow him so much. And I hope, I hope that brings me to a point where I weep. I hope it brings me to a point where I cry because I never want to be comfortable living in my sin. And if we're going to be agents of revival, if we're going to be tools of revival, what we have to get, the place we have to get is where we have the glory of God in our eyes and conviction in our hearts. And when that conviction takes deep root in our heart, I believe we'll weep over not only our sin, but the sins of our people. And what we'll start doing is we won't judge them, but we're going to pray with them. We won't call them out on it from a, a judgmental standpoint. We'll call them out on it because we want to walk with them through that sin. And if we're going to experience a revival on our campus, in our campuses and in our cities, we have to get to a point where we weep over our sin because we realize it is destroying us. That's the thing about sin. That's why it's not something that we play around with because it literally destroys us. and It's destroyed nations. It's destroyed people. And Josiah sees that, and as he reads the book of law, he weeps. He weeps. But then this happens. And this is the good news. Skip down, if you're, if you're looking with me in 2 Chronicles, to verse, uh, look at verse 27. Because of his weeping, because of his humility, because God's a God of second chances, this is what happens. It says, because your heart was responsive, this is coming from the Lord, because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and those who live here. And so maybe you look at this story, you hear this story, and you say, you know, Hunter, that's just kind of a boring Old Testament story. And I really don't see how that applies to my life. And I just want to encourage you to think really hard about how it does apply to your life. That we live in just as much evil as this nation did. That sin is just as much around us as it was in this nation. And, and here's what it has the opportunity to do. It has the opportunity to destroy people. It has the opportunity to ruin people. But Josiah, in this moment, he sees the book of law. And what he does is he understands, unlike his because here's what his ancestors did. His ancestors thought that they could do things in the name of religion and they would have favor. What Josiah, I think, understands is that the only way you get favor is through relationship. And when you have a relationship, it requires obedience. If you have a relationship with God, I want to encourage you not that, that that requires obedience. 
That's not, that's not something that you get to play around with. That's not something that's just, that, that, that's like personal for other people. Like, no, like if you are in a relationship with God, it requires obedience. And yeah, there's an opportunity for second chances. And there's an opportunity for redemption. I'm not eliminating grace from this conversation, but what I am placing importance on is the fact that God calls us to do what he says. But he doesn't do it just to be strict. He doesn't do it just so he can be mean to you or so that you'll miss out. He does it because he loves you more than anything, that he would give you instructions on things that you should do and shouldn't do, also that he can give you the very best. And his, his, his deal tonight isn't that he's trying to give you this law so that you're miserable for the rest of your life. He gives you instructions because he loves you like a father and he wants to tell you what to do and what not to do so you experience the most prosperity and success in your life. And that might come through pain, that might come through tough circumstances, that might come through valleys, but in order to get to the mountaintop, we have to obey. We have to obey. And so for you tonight, what action is God asking of you? What action is he asking of you Josiah, yeah, he was young, the most unlikely person that could ever do something for positive change. And he starts it. He starts the process. And what we'll see later, um, is, and we'll probably talk about this next week, is that sometimes it doesn't always work out the way we want it to, the way we want it to. Sometimes we pray for revival. We even do the right things for revival to happen. And sometimes it doesn't always happen the way we want it to happen. But here's what happens for Josiah that's really important. Look down in verse, um, verse 31 says, the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all of his heart, all of his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. So Josiah has conviction, and then his conviction leads to commitment. And so here's the thing about conviction is, is, is that's a tough word for, for us, and, and conviction is not something that's easy. Conviction actually, it sucks, we'll say that. And you, you kind of know when you're convicted to the point that it almost puts like a knot in your stomach because you're so sick. It's something you know you're just like guilty of. The conviction's hard, but here's what conviction gives you the opportunity. It gives you the opportunity to commit. And for Josiah as a leader, his conviction led to a great commitment. One that would essentially, I think, help save, save his nation. And if, if not save his nation in that moment, it would long term. And that's what we'll talk about next week. And here's the truth. Because I'm not trying to bring this message to you just to tell you that you suck because you've been living in sin. I think I bring this message to you because what I realize is that in my sin, I realize I'm not helping the cause for anybody. And maybe more than anything, just to say and to confess in front of brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm sorry because I am a sinner. And in my sin, until I get to the point where I'm convicted and weeping over my sin, I'll never be a tool for revival. And what I'm asking is that you would do the same. And we didn't set this circle up for anything special other than that we just want to have an intimate night of worship. But what I want to invite you into tonight is the opportunity to see your sin, to see God and his word and his holiness, and to say, God, I'm sorry. And for me to be a tool for revival, I've got to get rid of my sin, and I've got to elevate you in my life. And my question is, will you join me in that tonight? That's not something I can force on you or put on you, and that's something that by the God and his spirit that I, I pray he moves you to do tonight. I pray he moves you to do that tonight. So conviction and commitment. Here's the thing about revival. Revival happens when we get God's glory in our eyes and conviction in our heart. So hopefully we get conviction in our heart. But there's another passage I want to turn to. and It's Isaiah chapter 42. And I think it's, as, as, we were, as we were singing, I had, to, I had to look at my Bible just to read this passage over and over again because it's been on my heart a lot, and I wanted to share it tonight. And I think this is one of the greatest passages about revival that I've read in a while. And this is, this is what it says, starting in verse 5. 
We've got to get God's glory in our eyes, and we've got to get conviction in our hearts. And this is what Isaiah writes. This is what the Lord is saying. He says, this is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth and, and with all that springs forth from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So what is God saying? He's saying, I'm righteous, and I've called you in righteousness, and I will literally take you by the hand to be a light to other people, to pull people out of darkness, to free people from imprisonment. And this is what he says. I love this verse. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or or my praise to idols. Here's the greatest thing that that I have found in God's character is that the thing he loves the most is his glory. And he is not in a position tonight where he's trying to trade his glory off to anyone else. He's not trying to give his glory to anyone else. And you might look at that and say, man, God, you're really egotistic. You love yourself. Here's the great news. I've said this before. If God is most concerned about your glory, then he's most concerned about your best. Because here's the truth, is if he's concerned with anything other than his glory, then his top priority isn't the top priority. And if his top priority isn't the top priority, then, you're t- then, then he's not giving you his very best. I know that's kind of conf- confusing. That's kind of different talk. But I, I, what I want to do is kind of get rid of this faulty theology that says that the Bible's about us. I want to get rid of that, this theology or this idea that says that the, the Christian faith or the story of the Bible is all about us. And I want to get us out of that to get us into the story that says that the, the, there's one theme, I think, present in all the Bible, and that's the glory of God. Even the story of Jesus, the most important story um, in the whole Bible, it says this about the story of Jesus in Philippians 2, that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that uh, his humility, that he would be exalted so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he was Lord. Why? Comma right there, to the glory of God the Father. Even Jesus' life was about the glory of God. Jesus loving you was about the glory of God. Jesus saving you was about the glory of God. You serving others and loving others is about the glory of God. And there's one theme throughout the whole story of the Bible, and is that God is deserving of glory. How do, we, how, how do we miss that? It says that this is the Lord your God, the creator of the heavens. He literally stretches them out and, and he spreads out the earth with all that spring, springs forth and he gives breath to every single thing that walks on earth. That is the God we serve. We don't serve a God tonight who's weak. We don't serve a God who's incapable. We don't serve a God who's not possible to bring revival. I think what he's saying is would, you get, would, you get his, would we get his glory in our eyes and conviction in our hearts? And when that happens, I think we will be used as agents and tools to bring revival to our campus, to bring revival to our city to bring revival to our world but here's the thing he's not willing to give his glory to anyone else not you not me or not the things we worship or not the things that we praise and just like Josiah's kingdom he says you can't praise other idols there can't be anything else and I think for us or at least for me I'm like, Matt, will you, kind of, will you come up and start playing? I'm going I'm to get ready to close. I've just been so convicted over my sin and over the places where I missed some art. And my prayer tonight that I'm inviting you to pray with me is, God, get your glory in my eyes and get conviction in my heart to do something different, to maybe obey a little bit more so that maybe someone else has the opportunity to know Jesus. And this is what it says. It says, I'm the Lord, that is my name, and I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. This is where revival sets in. 
See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Is anyone else begging that God would do a new thing? Is anyone else tired of seeing the former things and are we ready to see a new thing? We just, we sang about that. God, I've seen you move the mountains and I want to see you do it again. And would you really mean that when you pray tonight? When you sing that tonight, would you mean that? That that God, I've seen your glory before and I want to see your glory again. And I think just like Josiah is an eight-year-old boy, I want to get back to the point where I was eight and I was falling in love with Jesus because I had that childlike faith that Jesus talks about in the New Testament. And just to love Jesus like that again, because he is so glorious, because he is so good, because he is creator God, because he's the savior of the world. And realize that all this junk, all this stuff that we allow to distract us, it doesn't matter. And if God's going to do a new thing, it takes us getting out of the way, getting his glory in our eyes and getting conviction in our hearts and saying, I want to be a tool for revival. I want to be an agent for revival. I'm going to see a new thing come into being, come into place in our lifetime. In our lifetime, could we see that? And maybe not. That's up to God. But there is a part of revival that's up to us. I listened to a message this past week called Blood and Thunder, and it was all about revival, and it was all about how God provides the thunder, we provide the blood in the sense that God brings the power, we bring the work. And that's just the way God allows revival to work for some reason. He invites us into this journey to do something about it. And I just wonder if that would be us. If we would weep over our sin and get conviction in our hearts to humble ourselves before God to say, God, we've missed the mark and we're sorry. But we want to see you do a new thing. So we'll get your glory in our eyes and we won't live for anything other than you. And I think when that happens, we'll see the former things fade and the new things come to life and we'll see revival happen in our campus, happen on our campuses, happen in our cities, happen in the world. But it has to happen in you first. Revival has to take place in your circle before it takes place anywhere else. It is glory in your eyes and get conviction in your hearts. God, we love you. And we're so thankful that you are concerned with your glory tonight. We're thankful that you're concerned about your glory tonight and that there's nothing else on your radar other than making your name more magnified in the world. And Lord, I just pray that we would join you in that. Lord, I pray that we would see our sin and see our shame and weep over it but see where there's so much grace and so much opportunity to do a new thing. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And my prayer for our community is that we would join together as an entire group of people and say, God, we want to get your glory in our eyes. We want conviction to take root in our hearts because when that happens, nothing can stop us from seeing a new thing be done. Lord, our trust is in you. Our hope is in you. And we believe you'll do a new thing. God, we pray for our campuses. We pray for our cities. And we pray for ourselves. That before you would take the evil away from them, that you would take the evil out of us. That you would remove the sin that we're dealing with, that we're struggling with, that's stuck in our life. So that we can see you do a new thing. God, there's no one else that's worth living for. The new creator, God. So I pray that we would love you more.